Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. different things that you can be a part of in life. Uh, I mean, schedules are plentiful. Oftentimes, there's not a lot of time to add anything, but I just want to encourage you as, as your pastor um, to find time for the most important things, right? Um, not everything that we give our time, attention, and money to is worth it. Um, and so as you consider what it means for you to live life, um, where you're going to spend your resources uh, of all kinds. Uh, let's be that people who do a really good job of discerning uh, what has eternal impact on our lives. My question for you is, how have your table moments been over the last few weeks? Um, I've seen some pictures posted. I've seen uh, some people who've gathered around tables of all kinds. Take a moment just now and share with people around you what your table moments have been like. And you might have to say, oh, I haven't had any table moments. That's valid. But uh, take a moment and share with the people next to you. Mm. You know, there's a bit of anxiety in me right now as I set this table because I recognize that there's a, there's a, a proper way to set a table. Did you know that? Some of you do. Um, my mother uh, in high school and in, even in college um, specialized in that kind of stuff. And so my mom was always um, deliberate about how her table was set, right? Chrissy's like, yes. And so I set a table up here. Um, and as I started setting this, I thought, you know what? I better make sure that I'm setting this right for all those people out there who are going back, Pastor, that's wrong. Just be gracious to me today. We, talk, we sang about grace, right? So just be gracious to me. But, you know, setting a table is a prerequisite for having people at it. Um, we had a, a, a woman at our last church. She was just great. Her name was Edith. And uh, Edith had us over for, for Sunday lunch uh, one time. And we were new to the church, and it was Jean and Edith and then the five of us. And we sat down for dinner, and she was so apologetic. She was so apologetic that all she had to put the butter on was just the tub that it came in. That was, like, horrendous for her. You know, butter is supposed to be put out on its own little plate, and it's supposed to be cut just right. And I said, Edith, I'm just happy to be here. She says, I'm just so embarrassed. You know, I, I think uh, in our day and age, we've lost the art of uh, setting tables, and we just kind of throw it out there. Um, and as long as people have something to eat, we're good. Um, but there's something to be mentioned about um, what Edith understood about preparing a table. We've talked about table moments for quite some time, uh, last few weeks. 
And uh, it, it should be mentioned that table moments don't just happen. They take planning. They take preparation. They take setting the scene. You got to invite people over, right? You have to create the, the, the moment um, so that things can happen. Table moments don't just happen. They are planned for. So I don't know what was shared uh, out there, uh, but I, I'll say this. Um, I know that great things are happening around tables because I've heard some of the stories. Little birdies have told me about them. Um, Facebook has shared that with me. There's some things I love about Facebook. That's one of them, that we get to, sh- to see what is going on in your lives. This week, uh, we want to revisit uh, another table story in Scripture. And if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke's Gospel and go all the way to the very back. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third gospel narrative that we have in the New Testament. New Testament's the latter part of what we call the Bible. Old Testament's the, the new. It's not that one is like outdated and one is updated. No, they actually both go together. And they're very important to be read together. So if you haven't read your Bible lately, I would encourage you to do that. And today we're going to be in Luke's gospel. Um, Luke was a detail man. Rumor has it that Luke was a physician, a doctor, someone that you would like to have a a detailed person. No one wants to go into a doctor's office and say, well, you know, this is kind of right. Details are important. And in Luke's gospel, we find this story about Jesus post-resurrection. There's two guys, they're on the road to a town called Emmaus, and uh, they are uh, wrought with grief. Things are just, they haven't turned out the way they were supposed to. And they're grumbling to each other. They're moaning. They're, they're, whoa, they're distraught. Jesus shows up with them. And I, I want to read you. I, I, th- I thought about cutting this down and just giving you like the end of it, but I, we're going to read the whole thing. So in Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter, which is the very last chapter of the book, we, re- we read this. Beginning verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. What things, Jesus asked. I love the position that Jesus takes. Obviously, he knows what's going on, right? He was smack dab in the middle of it. He says, what, 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 what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, can you hear the despair there? We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen the angels who told them Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. 
Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning him. And you would think that they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. No one knows scripture like that, but that's not the story. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and, and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. That's weird. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked with us, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. This is the word of God for uh, the people of God and for the world. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. Um, I have been anticipating the conclusion of this series, which is next week. We're going to gather around a table. It's not going to be this table, but there's going to be bread and there's going to be juice and it's going to be a thing that we do every month. Sometimes we do it a couple times a month. But we're going to gather at the Lord's table and we're going to, uh, to receive the bread and, re and receive the juice and we're going to receive these elements that are God's gifts of grace to, to, to the people, you and I. Um, and as we do this, my anticipation is that your table moments are, will have prepared you for uh, what we do next week. You will remember the, the table stories, the table narratives that we have kind of peeked in on, the things that we've jumped into and, and, and found ourselves there. But as we do this, as, as you think this week and prepare this week for what we will do next week, I, I want you to catch a glimpse of something that is, is very important in this passage of Scripture today. And it's a, it's a, a rhythm, really. It's a, it's a way of life for the people of God. It, it's, it's a way of life for those who have been caught by the story of God, who have been transformed by it. You see, this whole story starts off with two guys in turmoil. You understand turmoil. You have lived it. Maybe you are living it. Turmoil is something that we are all too familiar with. But you see, the good news is that that's not the end of our story. It never has been and never will be. Turmoil is what happens when, when this world that we live, this broken down world that we live in has its way with us. When we get sidetracked, when we get off the right track, you see, the, the, the story continues, and in this passage of Scripture, their turmoil turned into enlightenment, joy, and excitement. That is the rest of the story for people like you and I. And it's really not just for people like you and I as though you know, we are exclusive. No, this really is the truth for all people, that our turmoil can be turned into enlightenment joy, and excitement. That's really good news for people, maybe you, who are at the bottom of the barrel right now. 
you can totally identify with those two guys on the road to Emmaus that day. Your story may be different than the person next to you. I guarantee you it probably is. But there are going to be some similarities. Turmoil seems to look a lot like itself in various situations. Turmoil wants to mess us up. The people of God have always had a bad habit of not getting it. If you read anything about, uh, if you you see anything in Scripture, it's that God's people have this propensity to get it and then forget it. Maybe you you can identify with that. You you get it. You've given everything to God. You're like tracking with the Lord, and then for some reason you get distracted and you lose sight of the reality and you forget it. In fact, if you follow the the narrative of God's people in their escape from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, it's like this cycle of getting it and forgetting it, getting it, forgetting it, getting it, forgetting it, getting it, forgetting it. it. And you would think at some point they'd be like, guys, we've done this before. Why, Why aren't we learning our lesson here? But you see, it didn't just stop with them. It happens in your life. It's happened in my life. Even after a lengthy explanation of scriptures to the two men, uh, an exclamation, an explanation that, that should have jogged their memory. I mean, who else would have known scripture the way Jesus would know scripture? They still don't understand who Jesus was. And, and we have to remember that these two guys, they were followers of Jesus. They were people who should have understood. They should have recognized Jesus. I mean, they had journeyed with him. They had followed him across the countryside. They had heard him speak. They had seen him do miracles, but yet they didn't see the person standing right next to him. You see, they were distracted. Their grief completely changed the way they saw reality. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it's not grief. Maybe it's uh, a desire for more of something. Maybe it's just heartache at a broken relationship. Maybe it's grief, uh, the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's that uh, you've been sick for way too long. You keep praying, God, heal me, but you're still sick. And you wonder. And our wondering sometimes turns to doubt. And our doubt sometimes turns to, we just don't even see what's standing right in front of us. They were distracted. A season of depression um, kind of came over me at our second church. It, it actually kind of started at our first church in the midst of a transition. And I, uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, I was making it. I was kind of getting by. I was on autopilot. I was getting things done that I was supposed to be doing. And, and, and ministry was, was good. But as I look back, I, re- I realized I was not living in the fullness of what God was doing in my life. You know, we around the church, we don't know what to do with that word depression. Oftentimes we say, well, just pray harder and it'll go away. I think that's a poor reading of scripture. I think there are very real times where God says, your body is reacting to the brokenness around you. And, be, and because of that brokenness, you are being affected by it. And I'll just say this as your pastor. I think there are times when God blesses us with uh, the medical profession in ways that, that oftentimes we'll say, well, if I just pray harder, then it'll get fixed. And God's saying, you bonehead? 
That's a theological term, you know. <laughs> you bonehead, I've given you things to help. Why aren't you using them? It's like the guy who uh, his house um, is, um, the waters are rising around it and he climbs up on the roof and he prays, oh Lord, help me. Get me out of this. And sure enough, this helicopter comes by and says, hey, we're here to help you. And he says, no, I've been praying. The Lord's going to deliver me here. I think what they said was bonehead. <laughs> they leave and the waters keep rising and soon a boat comes along and, and they're, hey, we're here to help you. And, oh no, I'm a good, God's going to save me. And again, they probably said bonehead. Um, and the, the waters rise and the, the house gets washed away and he finally gets you know, washed up on the shore and, and he says, God, why didn't you save me? Well, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you a boat. Oh, sometimes we forget the fact that God is sending us stuff and we just need to open our eyes to it. You see, I think every one of us, as we read the scripture, wants to yell into the narrative, wake up, it's Jesus. How many of us need someone in our life at times to say, wake up, it's Jesus. He's right there. He's right there wanting to do something amazing in your life. He's right there. The disciples are doing what post-resurrection disciples must do. They, they're, they're working to figure it all out. They're trying to make sense of life and death and hopes and dashed dreams. You and I are just like these two guys. We are people who are trying to figure it out. But the reality is this, Jesus is always closer at hand than we realize. Always. Every moment, God is always closer to you than you could ever hope for or imagine. It's interesting that at the table, their eyes were opened. They were eating a meal. I, I, I loved I love the line in here where it says Jesus acted as if he were going on. Jesus had no intention of leaving them in the midst of their despair. But there are times when Jesus is going to posture himself. He is going to act in such a way that he wants us to ask for the things that we are needing. He wants us to do our part in inviting Jesus to stay. There are times when you and I simply have to put things aside and say, Jesus, I need you right now. And I've got my full attention on you. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they convinced him to stay. I'm sure it didn't take much for that to happen. Do you believe that Jesus is always in complete control of what is unfolding in your life? Are you a believer in that? Not because you just hope that it's the case, but because you know it's the case. The thing I love about this church is that we've got people who have been around the faith for just a short amount of time, and we've got people who are seasoned veterans. One of the things I love about tables is that um, the newbies and the veterans can find a place at the table together, and amazing things happen. Amazing things happen as, as stories are shared, as questions are asked. Can I just say this? Don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid to be a person who digs a little bit. 
to ask that question that is just, you're, you're dying to know the answer. At our first church, we were youth pastors and we did a night, Christy, she's a genius, amen. Um, <laughs> she did this thing where um, she got all the girls together, um, all the, the teen girls, uh, with a bunch of our seasoned veterans in the church. And Christy had a series of questions that she asked our veteran ladies about love and dating and marriage and what it was it like when they were teens. And it was so interesting to hear our seasoned veterans share their stories of romance and love and teenage adolescent years. And our, our young girls were like, whoa, that's not so much different than me. You see, great things happen around tables. And in, in this situation, um, their eyes were opened. The girls around that table with our seasoned veterans, their eyes were opened to some new realities. And I think that that case is happening for us even today. Our eyes are being opened. But you see, gathering around a table has to take intention. It, 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 it takes uh, intentionality to pause with a purpose around a table. There's something about the way things are blessed that reveals a lot. Um, what was it about the blessing of the bread, the breaking of the bread, the passing of the juice? What was it about that that jogged their memories? Was it that they had been at a meal before where Jesus took bread, blessed it, and 5,000 people were fed? that jogged their memory. Oh, wait a minute. I remember this. This is not unusual. This is who we are. Thanks, babe. Had they been at the meal, the meal that had taken place just a few days before, in which Jesus had taken the bread and the juice, he had blessed it and passed it around. Had that been what jogged their memory? The passion narrative, Jesus' arrest, his trial, his brutal beatings, his crucifixion, and his resurrection are bracketed by table moments. For one, it, we've come to know it as the Last Supper. It happened under the, 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 the shade of night, and Jesus was the host. And now we find ourselves post-resurrection at a table under the cover of night with Jesus being the host at a table where things are blessed. Both meals take place under the cover of night. Both meals are, 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 take place at tables hosted by Jesus. These are common themes that come back and back and back in our lives. Where the first is known as the last supper, this is the first supper. And I wonder why we haven't given more attention to this meal as the reality, our reality, that Jesus is still showing up at tables, blessing not just bread, but people in such a way that new realities are realized. What is it about the way we bless that reveals who we are? And I'm not talking just about bread. I'm talking about the way you bless your neighbor. I'm talking about the way you bless your coworker. I'm talking about the way you, you bless that kid at school 
who seems to always be sitting at a table by himself. I'm talking about how do we as a people of God who have been transformed by God, how are we blessing things in such a way that it reveals something about us? Only those who have eyes to see will discern the divine presence among us. And what's interesting about the Christian faith is that we serve a God who is all about the business of coming to tables where we are at and opening our eyes. There are plenty of religious traditions out there where the people at the table have to do all the work to get their eyes opened. But Jesus says, I am coming to you to open your eyes. The theological conclusion that we have is that understanding Jesus' true identity is a revealed truth. It's something that Jesus does to us. It comes only through the, the means of retelling the story. See, that's, that, that's the, the fabric behind this whole story. Jesus is retelling the story. Church, that's why we gather at tables. To rehear the story that has formed us and shaped us. To remember those, those, those moments that are, are all throughout Scripture. Those threads that are woven throughout. We are formed and shaped by tables, both literal and figurative. And I wonder today, in what areas of your life has it become difficult to see what Jesus is up to? Do you today find yourself on a road to a town by the name of Emmaus? You are troubled because of something. Jesus is there with you on the road, but you are just having a hard time recognizing Will you gather at the table with those who will help you remember who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus is still up to? The band's going to come up, and we're going to close with a song. But, but I, I want to give you an opportunity to gather at a table. Now, this is very much a, a figurative thing for us tonight, or this morning. I, I want to I, I give you an opportunity at the close of this service to do something during this song besides just sing it. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to stand or to sit. And I, I want you, during this song, I, I want to call you to step off of the road of doubt and fear and frustration and anger and hopelessness and everything else that is keeping your eyes from seeing Jesus. I, I want to call you off of that road to the table where God is going to remind you of who he is and what he's up to. The prayer is going to be a simple one. It's going to be this, God, open my eyes to what you're up to. And, and as, as the, the team leads us this morning, um, I want to encourage you to um, do something that maybe you've never done. Maybe it's been a while. There are these cushy little things on the ground over here on either side of me. They're for your knees or for your forehead. 
But, but the idea is that there are times in our lives when we need to be a people who step out of roads that are taking us in the wrong direction. And we need to step out from comfort zones where we can hide holding on to chairs. And we come to tables or sometimes we call them altars. And we say, God, I need you. Because I am lost. I'm broken. I don't get it right now. In the history of the church, altars have looked like all sorts of different things. And depending on the faith tradition you come from, altars look like different things even more. But this morning, here at Real Life, right here, or maybe even right here, or maybe at your seat, you just want to turn around and kneel and say, God, open my eyes to what you're up to in this situation. Be honest with him. He knows your heart better than you do. But there's something about us coming to the table that God opens our eyes. Not just these, the eyes of our hearts to the truth of his word. So as they sing, I invite you to come. Kneel at an altar and just say, God, I need you. You might not know how to pray about that situation. It's okay. Say, God, teach me how to pray about this. Help me know what to do here. And I don't know what that revelation is going to look like for you. But if nothing else, I guarantee you, God will be near. For the people of God, that's the first thing we need to get a hold of, that God is near. So Lord Jesus, in these moments, I pray that these altars would be more than functional space, but they would be moments where we look across the table and see you looking us back in the face. And God, I pray that from the depths of our hearts, we would cry out to you, that we would not be worried about offending you, but that we would just be honest. And God, would you, as you did in this passage, remind us of what you have been up to, what you are up to, and what you have yet to do among us. Lord, we're coming to the altar today. In your name, church, come when you're ready.